Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode. Welcome to episode 184 of the GDPR Weekly Show. We begin this week with a few words about the crisis in Ukraine. And then following on from that, we take a look at the stance taken by different groups of hackers as to which side they're coming down on, whether they're on Russia's side or whether they're on the side of Ukraine. Then we return to Switzerland with news of a massive data leak at Credit Suisse. And then to the UK, where Redcar and Cleveland Borough Council have had a number of data breaches. We then travel across the Pennines to Preston, where there's been a massive NHS data breach. And then up to Scotland, where in Hamilton we have the really unusual case of a Scottish police officer who's on trial, accused of accessing their own case file. We then travel to South Africa, where ABSA has released details that their data breach has affected more customers than originally thought. And then to Canada, where there's been another data breach linked to the Freedom Convoy and donations via Gibbs and Joe. We then travel to Ireland, and we look at some highlights from the DPC's annual report. And then to America and to New York, where Deloitte has agreed to a settlement to resolve class actions after data breach claims. We then travel to Australia where the biannual report from the Australian Information Commissioner, and we then return to America and to Washington State, where Seattle Healthcare Group CMAR is facing a class action after a data breach. We then travel across America to Oklahoma, where the DNA data of sexual assault victims has been exposed in a data breach. And then remaining in America, we go to Arkansas, where Advantage, Title and Escrow have had a data breach. We then look at a new feature from Google, called Checks, which offers auto-GDPR compliance checking for mobile app developers. And then finally this week, we return to Ireland and the Irish DPC, where Helen Dixon has called for meaningful comparisons to be made between different DPAs and their success in implementing GDPR. So as always, a mixed range of articles for you this week. We do hope that you find the information in the articles useful and informative. As always, we do really value your feedback. So if you have any feedback for us, please do email us at feedback at gdplwigyshow.com. We do read every single piece of feedback we receive, but unfortunately, due to the volume of feedback, it's not always possible for us to respond to each piece of feedback individually. We are exhibiting at Business Revival, Excel Centre London, on 9th and 10th March. Stand 67. Come along and say hello. You probably won't be surprised to learn that we start this week looking at the events in Ukraine. And I think it's only right that we begin by saying that we want to express our solidarity with the people of Ukraine, particularly the citizens of Kiev, and that we hope that a peaceful settlement can somehow be found out of this mess that we now find ourselves in, thanks to the totally unnecessary actions of President Putin and Russian forces. This week, the National Cyber Security Centre has issued a warning to all businesses throughout the UK to be ultra-aware of the increased likelihood of cyber attack on UK digital infrastructure. So if you only do one thing this week... In the interest of everyone, please do make sure that your antivirus and anti-malware software is up to date and that you are keeping it regularly updated with fixes and patches because this is a changing environment from one hour to the next, let alone one day to the next. And it is important that we all do our bit to try and 
minimize the opportunities for malware or viruses to take effect during this period. What we do know already is that there have been numerous reports of cyber attacks targeting Ukrainian government departments and soldiers themselves have mounted this week, including instances of destructive malware and denial of service attacks. The cyber attacks form part of Russia's apparent hybrid approach to modern warfare. Even before the physical invasion, early indications Russia was planning an invasion of Ukraine had been monitored for months and the event seemed increasingly likely after Western leaders failed to reach an agreement with Russia during the set of negotiations held in January. Cybersecurity research organisation ESET said on Wednesday that it observed data showing wiper malware had been deployed on hundreds of machines in Ukraine. The research group said data from the observed malware sample, first gathered on Wednesday afternoon, indicated it may have been created in December 2021. The finding indicates that Russia may have been planning these attacks for months. ESET said further investigation revealed that the attackers had likely taken control of the Active Directory server in victims' machines. The wiper malware appeared to be dropped via default domain policy, it said. ESET's findings were also corroborated by Semantic Threat Intelligence Group. The wiper works by abusing legitimate drivers from the ESET's partition management software in order to corrupt data before rebooting the machine as a final measure. According to a deeper analysis by Cisco, the wiper dubbed Hermetic Wiper starts by enumerating the system's physical drives and corrupting the first 512 bytes to destroy the master boot record, ensuring the PC will not function properly even if the malware fails partway through its process. Hermetic Wiper will then analyse the individual partitions, disable the volume shadow copy service and then deploy different destructive mechanisms depending on the drive type, whether it's either FAT or NTFS. Various housekeeping files will also be targeted. It will then wait for all sleeping threads to complete before rebooting the machine to complete the wiping process. Wiper malware was one of the key trends expected to define cyber warfare in 2022, as outlined by Mayer Horowitz, Director of Threat Intelligence and Research Products at Checkpoint. In some cases, especially around hacktivists, they don't really want to invest in doing all the encryption involved in ransomware. It's much easier to ruin the machines not being able to restore them. Wipers are also very relevant when it comes to hacktivists, and we're seeing more cyber hacktivists these days, so we'll probably see more wipers as well. Reports also suggest that a number of Ukrainian government departments have been hit by distributed denial of service or DDoS attacks over the past few weeks, with another surge occurring on Wednesday. According to web monitoring outfit NetBlocks, the websites belong to Ukraine's Ministry of Foreign Affairs, Ministry of Defence, Ministry of Internal Affairs, the Security Service of Ukraine, and the Cabinet of Ministers. All experienced disruptions on Wednesday. All websites seem to be operational at the time of the broadcast, other than the Security Service of Ukraine, which appears to still be suffering an outage. The websites for Ukraine's Ministry of Defence and Ministry of Internal Affairs both seem to be actively under protection from Cloudflare, as its DDoS protections landing page appears before loading the website. The country's Centre for Strategic Communications is also seemingly protected. As reported by wider media outlets, Cloudflare said it has seen an uptick in activity in the past week, although the company said that the size of the attacks aren't as big as some it's had to deal with in the past. John Graham Cummings, CTO at Cloudflare, said the internet continues to operate in Ukraine for the most part. We saw an increase in internet use after 0330, perhaps indicating Ukrainians using the internet for news and information. Currently, we're seeing about 80% of the load we normally see in Ukraine. There's been a small uptick in cyber attacks against Ukrainian websites, particularly government websites, he added. Telfair data shows inconsistent increases in traffic against Ukraine starting from December last year and eventually peaking on the 27th of January 2022. Traffic into Ukraine was around twice as high between December 2021 and January 2022, 
compared to the same period in 2020 to 2021, and around four times more than the same period a year earlier than that. The Ministry of Defence in Ukraine confirmed its website was probably attacked by a distributed denial of service attack, an excessive number of requests per second were recorded, it said. Government departments also said they will be continuing communications on social media amid mounting attempts to disrupt the typical official channels. This week's distributed denial of service attacks followed a number of incidents that occurred between the 15th and 16th of February, which saw the Ukrainian banking sector targeted with similar denial of service attacks. The UK's Foreign, Commonwealth and Development Office, the FCDO, and the National Cyber Security Centre, NCSC, together officially attributed the attacks to the Russian Main Intelligence Directorate, GRU, saying it was almost certainly involved. The attack showed a continued disregard for Ukrainian sovereignty. This activity is yet another example of Russia's aggressive acts towards Ukraine, said an FCDO spokesperson. However, there has also been some activity the other way. Russia's military website, mil.ru, experienced an outage today it announced an invasion and further reports showed it's returning a 418 error, suggesting Russia has closed off the access to the website for users outside of the country. Ukraine officially confirmed Russia had invaded as of Thursday morning, but there's currently no official indication that Ukraine has launched retaliatory cyber attacks against Russia. Although a senior Ukrainian Defence Ministry official has sought to have instructed private sector cyber security partners to rally groups of ethical hackers to launch an offensive against Russia in cyberspace on behalf of the Ukrainian government. Enthusiastic ethical hackers based in Ukraine were allegedly asked to enrol in the initiative via a Google Docs form listing their areas of expertise and professional preferences. They would then be separated into teams dedicated to attack and defence, the latter of which would be charged with protecting critical infrastructure. The Ukrainian Centre for Strategic Communications tweeted, The Supreme Commander-in-Chief of the Armed Forces of Ukraine gave orders to inflict the maximum losses to the aggressor. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. On the subject of hacktivists, as we go to broadcast, Anonymous are claiming success in taking down the Kremlin website in Russia. And so it would be worth just taking a quick look at which groups of hacktivists have come out on which side. So far, siding with Ukraine, we have Anonymous, united with Ukraine and officially in a cyber war against the Russian government. The group said they targeted Russian state-controlled international television network RT and has taken down the website of the Russian propaganda station RT News. Anonymous is said to be a decentralised hacktivist group that targets different government institutions and government agencies, corporations and the Church of Scientology. Also with Ukraine is a group called GhostSec, who announced their support for Ukraine today. In support of people in Ukraine, we stand by you, they said. Also known as Ghost Security, the group considers itself a vigilante group and was initially formed to target ISIS websites that preach to Islamic extremists. GhostSec is also commonly referred to as an offshoot of Anonymous. But siding with Russia, we have Conti, who have come out in full support of Russia, if anybody will decide to organise a cyber attack or any war activities against Russia, we're going to use all our possible resources to strike back at the critical infrastructures of an enemy, a spokesman said. The Conti ransomware group is highly sophisticated and known for being the first group to weaponise the Log4 shell vulnerability, which we previously mentioned here on the GDPR Wiki Show, and operate a fully developed attack chain. Another group, UNC1151, based in Minsk, have said that their support lies with Russia. The hacking group is commonly regarded as being state-sponsored by Belarus and has already been working to compromise the email accounts of Ukrainian military personnel. The group's members are officers of the Ministry of Defence of the Republic of Belarus. 
Another drip is Sandworm, backed by Russia. The drip, known for its recent malware towards Cyclops Blinks, is comprised of Russian state-sponsored hackers. The malware was first deployed in June 2019 and has been primarily detected targeting WatchGuard Firebox firewalls, but they don't exclude having the ability to infect other types of network equipment too. And then we have the Red Bandits, also standing in Russia. On February 22nd, the group tweeted, We've hijacked the Ukraine police dash cams and have been watching them. If Ukraine does not do what Russia wants, we will escalate our attacks against Ukraine to involve panic scares. We will also consider distributing ransomware. The collective self-identifies as a cybercrime group from Russia, however it's widely speculated to in fact be the Russian intelligence service. And finally, we have the Tumin Project, who side with Russia. The International Hacker Group announced today in a statement, Hello everyone, this is a message we will help the Russian government if cyber attacks and conduct against Russia. The danger is linked to the 2021 data breach and leak of the South African National Space Agency. We only expect these cyber attacks to increase from both sides, and we will keep you up to date with any news that we have right here on the GDPR Weekly Show. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. If it hadn't been for Ukraine this week, then without a doubt the big news would have been the data breach from Credit Suisse. A massive leak of data from one of the world's biggest private banks, Credit Suisse has exposed the hidden wealth of clients involved in torture, drug trafficking, money laundering, corruption and other serious crimes. Details of accounts linked to 30,000 Credit Suisse clients all over the world are contained in the leak, which are master beneficiaries of more than 100 billion Swiss francs, £80 billion in sterling, held in one of Switzerland's best-known financial institutions. The leak points to widespread failures of due diligence by Credit Suisse, despite repeated pledges over decades to weed out dubious clients and illicit funds. The Guardian newspaper in the UK was part of a consortium of media outlets given exclusive access to the data. According to The Guardian, the data included information on a human trafficker in the Philippines, a Hong Kong stock exchange boss jailed for bribery, a billionaire ordered the murder of his Lebanese pop star girlfriend, and executives who looted Venezuela's state oil company, as well as corrupt politicians from Egypt to Ukraine. One Vatican-owned account in the data was used to spend €350 million, Euros, or £290 million, pounds, in an allegedly fraudulent investment in London property that is the centre of an ongoing criminal trial of several defendants, including a Roman Catholic cardinal. A spokesman for Credit Suisse said Credit Suisse strongly rejects the allegations and inferences about the bank's purported business practices. It argued that the matters uncovered by reporters are based on selective information taken out of context, resulting in tendentious interpretations of the bank's business concept. The bank said the allegations were largely historical, in some instances dating back to a time when laws, practices and expectations of financial institutions were very different from where they are now. While some accounts in the data were opened as far back as the 1940s, more than two-thirds were opened since 2000. Many of these were still open well into the last decade, and some of them indeed remain open today. The timing of the leak could hardly be worse for Credit Suisse, which has recently been beset by major scandals. Last month it lost its chairman, Antonio Horta Osorio, after he twice broke COVID-19 regulations. That capped an unprecedented year of controversies in which the bank became embroiled in the collapse of the supply chain finance firm Greensill Capital and the US hedge fund Archidus Capital and was fined $350 million over its role in a loan scandal in Mozambique. This month, Credit Suisse became the first major Swiss bank in the country's history to face criminal charges, which it denies relating to allegations it helped launder money from the Chitane trade on behalf of the Bulgarian Mafia. 
to Red Car in the northeast of England now, and Red Car and Cleveland Borough Council had to report four serious breaches of personal data to the Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO, last year. It should be said, however, that the council did not receive punishment from the ICO for any of the incidents. In total, the council said they had 60 data breaches in 2021, but most did not meet the ICO's threshold to be passed to them. A council spokesman said, We're ensuring that all relevant staff are updated on latest procedures to be followed to protect the information and data. It comes after the council suffered a cyber attack in February 2020, which cost it £8.7 million and left about 135,000 people without online access to public services, with frontline council staff resorting to using pens and paper. The local democracy reporting service said the council report shown two of the breaches involved reports and paperwork being disclosed to the wrong person. A third contained a sensitive report which allegedly did not arrive at its intended destination, and the final breach was down to unauthorised access with a subsequent disclosure of information. We are exhibiting a business revival, Excel Centre London, on 9th and 10th March. Stand 67. Come along and say hello. To Preston in Lancashire now, and personal data from tens of thousands of people have been leaked in a massive NHS patient data breach. The sensitivity of the breach data, which includes details of medical procedures for patients, including children, mean the incident could lead to criminal proceedings. Names and rest of the phone numbers of tens of thousands of patients were included in the cashier documents, as well as test results for survival screenings and letters to parents detailing urgent surgery for their children. The information was reportedly leaked from PSL Print Management, a Preston-based consultancy firm which manages the print fulfilment and dispatch of more than 10 million items of sensitive patient letters on behalf of over 200 NHS organisations. The company's NHS contracts are worth several million pounds, according to the Mail on Sunday, which first broke the story. An NHS spokesperson said information on the incident had been passed to the Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO, which on Sunday announced it is opening an investigation. The breach occurred when a PSL employee, who was in dispute with the company, requested all emails and texts relating to their employment, so a fairly standard data subject access request. They were sent a memory stick appearing to contain the firm's entire email server, including thousands of letters attached to emails between PSL staff and another printing firm, Datagraphic. A breach of this level, containing such sensitive data, could of course result in a hefty fine. Due to the sensitivity of the data and the possible flouting of GDPR, criminal proceedings could also follow. Some information on the email server reportedly dates back to 2015, which may constitute a further breach, because of course it's possible that some of that data should have been deleted according to the NHS data retention policy. The contract between the NHS and PSL is likely to guide the ICO's assessment of who is responsible. The leak follows an investigation last week carried out under the Freedom of Information Act, which found that on average of two NHS staff per day are being penalised for mishandling files and spying on patient records. If we get any update on this, either from the print management company, from the NHS, or indeed from the ICO, we will of course bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To Hamilton in Scotland now, and an unusual case in that a police officer has gone on trial accused of illegally accessing her own case file. Acting Sergeant Victoria Robb is said to have logged onto a computer and looked at details of driving offences that she'd allegedly committed. Robb, 31, went on trial accused of breaking data protection laws at Hamilton Sheriff Court this week. Prosecutors claim she unlawfully accessed the police database four times on April 17, 2019. Police Scotland Information Manager Alice Stewart told the court that Robb's unique ID number was recorded as accessing a digital file four times in one day. 
She said a computer network called Storm is a kind of tasking system that police officers would use to help investigate crimes containing details of witnesses, locations and allegations. Ms Stewart, who has worked for the police for 21 years, said the file Rob is accused of illegally accessing was about an investigation to claim she was guilty of road traffic offences. She said everything on the system was covered by data protection laws and would have been gathered for a single purpose, gathered for investigative purposes or the prevention of crime. She said it would include the details of the person who called in to report the incident or the victim. The court heard that Rob had undertaken data protection training and had passed online tests on the topic. When asked by the prosecutor Tony Hicks if she believed that Acting Sergeant Rob, accessing the storm incident and viewing it constitutes a breach of the data protection legislation, Miss Stewart replied, it would, in my opinion, yes. There was no policing purpose that was identified. It was carried out on multiple occasions and we have evidence to show that training and information was provided. The trial before Sheriff Diane Turner continues next month. And we will, of course, bring you future updates on this here on Digital Weekly Show. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. To South Africa now, and back in episode 180, we told you about a data breach at ABSA. Uh, this week, ABSA have announced that even more of its customers have been affected by the breach, which occurred in November 2020. The bank informed its customers that some of their personal details may have been compromised. This data that may have been exposed to third parties includes ID numbers, contact details, physical addresses and bank account numbers. We have heightened precautionary measures to protect your financial interests and you may receive a phone call from ABSA to validate potentially suspicious transactions, they said. The bank cautioned customers that ABSA would never ask them to share their online banking PIN number, password, card, CVV number or one-time passcode with anybody. When ABSA was first hit by the data breach, financial institutions said only a small percentage of its customers had been affected. During ABSA, the employee responsible had unlawfully made selected customer data available to a small number of external parties. Upon discovering the contravention, ABSA secured high court orders that enabled search and seizure operations at various premises and secured all devices containing the data. The data on these devices was subsequently destroyed, ABSA said. ABSA said it believed that the data was going to be used for telemarketing purposes and brought criminal charges against the employee. Fifteen months after the leak, the bank also informed customers that more of them had been affected. If we get any further update on this from ABSA, we will, of course, bring it to you in the next available episode of the Digipub Weekly Show. If you were listening to last week's episode of the Digipub Weekly Show, you may remember we spoke about details of donors to the Freedom Convoy in Canada being leaked. Uh, this week, hackers have once again leaked data on donors to the Freedom Convoy fundraiser, hosted by the Christian crowdfunding website GiveSendGo. The data provided by the hacker to the Transparency and Journalism Collective DDoS Secrets reveals all names and donation amounts provided by the campaign as of February 23rd, as well as limited credit card data. As we previously reported, a hacker had leaked a downloadable file of the identities of more than 92,000 donors on February 13th. Visitors to GiveSendGo's website were redirected to a road domain that not only offered a downloadable file of data, but a long manifesto set to music from the Disney film Frozen 2. The initial leak came just three days after the Daily Dot was alerted to serious security issues on Gibsendo's website that saw private documents such as passports and driver's licenses openly exposed. Despite informing the company of the vulnerabilities uncovered by security researchers, Gibsendo co-founder Jacob Wells called the issue fake news. Just two days later, on February 15th, an even more devastating leak revealed the entire donor history of every individual who ever used Gibsendo, as well as limited credit card data. The incident finally caused GibsendGo, which had remained quiet on the issues up to that point, to take down its website and release a statement regarding the breach. 
company tried to reassure users by claiming it performed many security audits to ensure the security of the site before bringing it back online. But the new leak not only reveals information on the latest owners, but more of their financial data as well, including the last four digits of credit cards and their expiration dates. Analysis of the data also shows that the fundraiser has received more than 10,000 new donations since the initial leak on February 13th. While the initial leak showed the campaign had been given roughly $9.9 million, the new data shows that the Freedom Convoy has now received over $10.6 million. Refund amounts also changed from around $17,000 to nearly $41,000. The hack and leak, which DDoS Secrets is only providing to journalists and researchers given the sensitivity of the data, reveals that Gibsendo's continued security woes have done little to deter the campaign supporters. We've reached out to Gibsendo to see if they were aware of the new hack and what steps they've taken following its previous security incidents to protect users' data, but they've not come back to us. If we do get any update from Gibsendo, we would, of course, bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. We are exhibiting at Business Revival, Excel Centre London, on 9th and 10th March. Stand 67. Come along and say hello. To Ireland now, and the annual report from the Data Protection Commission, the DPC, which is Ireland's equivalent to our Information Commissioner's Office, showed some of the perils from working from home. An educational institution accidentally shared recordings of student presentations with the students themselves, who were then able to view their lecturers' personal remarks about them, some of which went on to be posted to social media. In that instance, the breach resulted from pandemic restrictions, which saw presentations by students before lecturers conducted via video conferencing and recorded in order to enable external examination. That was not intended that students would have access to recordings of their presentations, the report said. In fact, all invited participants, including the students who presented, had access to recordings of the sessions and were automatically emailed a link to the relevant file on the institution's server. It said, as a result, students gained access to lectures' discussions of other students' work, which included personal remarks about some of the students. The case highlights the potential risks posed by the use of video conferencing and similar technologies, the DPC said, and that the organisation in question has since deleted the recordings. That instance is not the only example in the report of educational institutions falling foul of data protection laws in 2021. In a second case study, a university notified the DPC that job applications and CVs it received ended up dispersed after an employee working from home placed printouts in a recycling bin only for it to blow over in high winds, thus spilling its contents. This was notwithstanding the fact that universities instructed employees working from home to minimise printing and destroy documents before disposal. The DPC said the matter highlights how controllers, in this case the university, have responsibility to provide appropriate devices such as threaders for employees working remotely to deliver the required standard of protection. And of course that's something that we've mentioned a number of times here on the GDPR Weekly Show over the last 12 months or so. Other case studies are detailed, including an attendee at a funeral complaining to the Commission about their personal data being breached by the parish which had live-streamed the event, a complaint which was not upheld, and an employee complaining to the DPC that their data had been improperly processed by the employer when it used its dispatch system to verify their expense claims. Headline figures from the annual report from the DPC include an increase of 7% in queries and complaints to the regulator in 2021 to 10,888, with 10,645 cases concluded by the Commission over the year. It said just under 52% of complaints, 1,771, were concluded within the same calendar year. For reported breaches, such notifications were down slightly on 2020 figures to 6,549. 
Of that number, the most frequent cause of reported breaches was an unauthorised disclosure. The report said which accounted for 71% of all notifications. That's a significant drop from the 86% noted in the previous year. The main topics for queries and complaints, meanwhile, included subject access requests, disclosure, direct marketing and the right to be forgotten. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To America now, and specifically to New York, where on February 16th, the US District Court for the Southern District of New York granted final approval of a $4.95 million class action settlement from consulting firm Deloitte, resolving allegations that Deloitte had failed to use reasonable data security measures when designing web-based portals for state employment agencies in Illinois, Colorado and Ohio. According to the class's supplementary brief, in support of their motion for final approval, the allegedly poorly designed websites were subject to a data breach that resulted in unauthorised access to unemployment seekers' personally identifiable information. The parties agreed to a nationwide settlement class of 237,675 individuals in Illinois, Colorado and Ohio. These individuals were notified by their state employment agencies that certain personal information submitted when applying for pandemic-related unemployment claims may have been inadvertently exposed in a data breach. Under the terms of the settlement, the defendant agreed to establish a $4.95 million settlement fund to compensate eligible claimants and will pay more than $1.6 million in attorney's fees and costs, as well as class member service awards. Deloitte have been invited to give us a statement, but they have not done so at the time of going to broadcast. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. To Australia now, and the Australian Information Commissioner has produced figures showing that in the second half of last year, they had 464 data breaches reported, an increase of 6% compared with the first half of the year. The Office of the Australian Information Commissioner, the OAIC, periodically publishes statistical information about notifications released under its Notifiable Data Breaches scheme to help improve consumer protection and drive better security standards for protecting personal information. The OASC published its analysis for the second half of 2021, which received 464 notifications during the reporting period, compared to 436 during the first half of the year. It also found that malicious or criminal attacks remain the leading source of the breaches, accounting for 256 notifications, 55% of the total, down 9% from the number in the previous half of the year. Data breaches resulting from human error accounted for 190 notifications, 41%. The health sector was also the highest reporting industry sector, notifying 18% of all breaches, followed by finance at 12%. The most common type of personal information involved in breaches was contact information. 96% of the breaches affected 5,000 individuals or fewer, while 71% affected 100 people or fewer. Australian Information Commissioner and Privacy Commissioner Angeline Falk said that the NDP scheme was well established after four years of operation. The scheme is now mature and we expect organisations to have accountability measures in place to ensure full compliance with its requirements, she said. If organisations wish to build trust with customers, then it's essential they use best practice to minimise data breaches and when they do occur, they put individuals at the centre of their response. However, the OAAC found that some organisations are falling short of the scheme's assessment notification requirement. Fault said one of its key objectives is to protect individuals by helping them to respond quickly to a data breach to minimise the risk of harm. Delays in assessment and notification reduce the opportunities for an individual to take steps to protect themselves from harm, she said. Last week, the New South Wales government admitted to a data breach that saw over 500,000 addresses leaked through a government website. 
Locations were collected by the New South Wales Customer Services Department through a QR code registration system before being made public through a government website. Locations included defence sites, missile maintenance sites and domestic violence shelters. Back to America now, and a Seattle-based healthcare provider is facing a class-action lawsuit over a cyber attack in which the protected health information of 688,000 people were exposed. The exfiltration of data from the CMAR community health centres became apparent when files stolen in the attack showed up on the dark data leak website of cyber criminal gang Marquito. Marquito claimed to have stolen three terabytes of data from CMAR. Databreaches.net spotted the leaked files in June 2021 and reported them to CMAR. The healthcare provider waited until October 2021 to notify impacted individuals via a letter. CMAR said hackers had gained access to its network between December 2020 and March 2021. The cybercriminals exploited that access to exfiltrate sensitive data, including names, dates of birth, health information, addresses and social security numbers. In October 2021, the incident was reported to the HHS Office of Civil Rights as a data breach, impacting 688,000 current and former patients. On February the 16th, Alan Hall from Bellingham, Washington, filed a lawsuit against CMR on behalf of himself and others impacted by the data breach. In it, the plaintiffs accused the healthcare provider of negligence and alleged that CMAR failed to implement adequate and reasonable cybersecurity procedures and protocols to protect patient and employee information. CMAR is further accused of caring for sensitive patient data in a reckless manner. Hall alleges that CMAR knew that its computer systems and security practices were inadequate but failed to disclose his information. He further accuses CMAR of improper monitoring of its network for intrusions. The lawsuit alleges that as a result of the data breach, plaintiff and more than 650,000 class members suffered injury and ascertainable losses in the form of the present and imminent threat of fraud and identity theft, loss of the benefit of their bargain, out-of-pocket expenses and the value of their time reasonably incurred to remedy or mitigate the effects of the attack and the loss of value of their personal information. Always seeking compensatory damages, nominal damages, reimbursement of out-of-pocket costs and injunctive relief, including improvements to CMAR's data security systems and future annual audits. If we get any further update on this from CMAR, we will bring it to you in the next favourable episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. We are exhibiting a business revival, Excel Centre London, on 9th and 10th March. Stand 67. Come along and say hello. To Oklahoma now, and the personal data of an unknown number of victims of sexual assault has been exposed following a breach at Oklahoma-based DNA Solutions. The laboratory processed DNA evidence from rape victims known as rape kits for the Oklahoma City Police Department, amongst other clients, over a two-year period. The breach is said to have taken place last November. The Oklahoma City Police Department was recently made aware that a company that performed forensic testing for the department suffered a network security incident Captain Valerie Littlejohn of the Oklahoma City Police Department said. She went on to say, DNA Solutions Inc. determined that an unauthorised third party accessed their network and may have compromised certain sensitive personal and house-related information from sexual assault kits sent to them for forensic testing. She added that the department no longer has a contract with the company. The number of people affected isn't known, but the Oklahoma City Police Department says it's written to everybody who supplied a rape kit to DNA Solutions at any time. DNA Solutions blames the breach on an unnamed third-party software. In a statement, the company said, On November 18, 2021, our team detected and stopped a network security incident, immediately secured the network environment, 
and engage cybersecurity experts to conduct a comprehensive investigation into the extent of the unauthorised activity. During this time, we also notified federal law enforcement about the incident. The investigation determined an unauthorised party had access the network to an unknown vulnerability in the third-party software provider's platform and may have compromised certain personal and medical information. The data is believed to include medical information, but did not, says the company, include social security numbers, driver's licence information or financial information. Nevertheless, the company says, those people potentially affected should enrol in the credit monitoring and the identity protection services that it is being offered free of charge. DNA Solutions says it's also notified all those who may have been affected by the breach. Protecting data is a responsibility we approach with the utmost seriousness and we're committed to safeguarding against future threats, the company said. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To Arkansas now, and Advantage Tower and Escrow, a title company based in Fayetteville, Arkansas, has had a data breach. The company, founded in 2012 and helps buyers of residential and commercial properties through the closing process. Advantage Title also assists customers with the closing of refinancing. The company offers its customers a number of services including title research, title insurance and assistance with 1031 tax exchanges. Advantage Title and Estro has six locations across Arkansas including Fort Smith, Fayetteville, Hot Springs, Bentonville, Hot Springs Village and Springdale. According to a letter, Advantage Title and Estro sent to affected parties, the company recently learned that an unauthorised party gained access to two employee email accounts. Upon the company's discovery of unauthorised access, Advantage Title and Estro secured the employees' email accounts and set out to determine the scope of any compromised information. Subsequently, Advantage Title and Estro confirmed that sensitive information of certain individuals was available through the employees' email accounts and related attachments between September 3, 2019 and September 30, 2019. In February 2022, Advantage Title and Escrow began sending out data breach notification letters to all individuals whose information was compromised as a result of the breach. Individuals who receive an Advantage Title and Escrow data breach notification should take the situation seriously and remain vigilant in checking for any signs of unauthorised activity. Businesses like Advantage Title and Escrow are responsible for protecting the consumer data in their possession. If evidence emerges that Advantage Time and Estro failed to adequately protect your sensitive information, you may be eligible for financial compensation through a data breach lawsuit. The company stresses that they have no evidence that any of the information taken has been misused. Nevertheless, out of an abundance of caution, they say they want to make their clients aware of the incident. They say to protect their clients from potential misuse of information, they're offering a complimentary one-year membership to Equifax Credit Watch Gold. Equifax Credit Watch Gold is completely free to the customer and enrolling in the program will not hurt your credit store. For more information on identity theft prevention and Equifax Credit Watch Gold, including instructions on how to activate your complimentary one-year membership, please see additional information provided by Advantage Title and Escrow. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. Google announced this week they'd be rolling out a new platform called Checks to make it easier for mobile application developers to ensure their product is compliant with current privacy regulations. Checks will use artificial intelligence to scan code bases and provide automated privacy insights and recommendations where it spots errors that potentially fall foul of privacy regulations such as GDPR. The platform will also allow developers to analyse their code against regulations in the United States and Brazil and against the Google Play Store developer policies. Google said developers have contacted them saying they were struggling to keep track of the ever-changing regulatory landscape 
and deal with the growing complexity it presents. Chex is aimed at developer teams of all sizes and is a product of Google's in-house incubator program, Area 120, which sees employees come together to work on entrepreneurial projects. Area 120 has produced a range of projects since it launched in 2016. They've been integrated into the likes of Doodle Cloud, apps for Doodle Assistant, and new search functionality. Doodle previously built Android Vitals, an opt-in feature for Android that logs data through normal application use and sends it back to developers to provide greater insights into developers' technical challenges. Joining Area 120 allowed us to focus full-time on creating a solution that simplifies privacy for developers distributing on both Android and iOS, said Nia Casterly, co-founder and legal lead at Chex, and Fergus Hurley, co-founder and general manager at Chex. Over the past two years, our team has spent time listening and feedback from hundreds of mobile app developers on their approach to privacy and partnered closely with 40 highly engaged early adopters to refine our product and roadmap. We believe checks will help mobile app developers of all sizes save time by replacing complicated processes and providing automated privacy insights. Interested parties can request early access to checks as of now with various pricing tiers on offer. A free version only checks against Google's Play's data safety section, the core tier checks against GDPR, the California Consumer Privacy Act and more domestic regulations and costs $249 per app per month. The premium tier offers deeper insights into the app's privacy policy, permissions, SDKs and data sharing elements of the app, while the enterprise tier is priced on a bespoke basis. Subscriptions are limited to monthly payments at a time, meaning developers cannot pay for longer terms, although they can cancel at any time, Check said. Check said it does not collect or store any app or user data itself, nor does it share anything with the Google Play team. Returning to Ireland now and... Helen Dixon, the Data Protection Commissioner, has said that a set of metrics against which the performance of all European data regulators can be assessed objectively must be agreed. Helen Dixon's comments comes as her office continues to come under fire from other supervisors, politicians and privacy advocates over alleged weak handling of so-called big tech firms. Such metrics must, however, move past both superficial totting exercises and assumptions to the effect that the bigger the fine, the greater the change of behaviour it will herald, Ms Dixon said in the forward to the Data Protection Commission's annual report. If the collective goal of all of us is to ensure better protection of people from misuse of their personal data, and indeed to ensure that they're not disadvantaged by over-implementation of GDPR rules, the types of quantitative and qualitative metrics that need to be assessed must be carefully laid out, she said. Further enforcement priorities must be set, and the impact of different enforcement measures and sanctions must be tracked and analysed over time for impact and value for money, she added. Ms Dixon added that while the DPC recognises that in some respects at least it needs to do more and better, she said in a shared understanding of what measurements it is being compared against would be a benefit. She said in the absence of such agreed benchmarks, the standard GDPR enforcement regime is at risk of damage. This is particularly so when certain types of allegations levelled against this office serve only to obscure the true nature and extent of the challenges presented by the particular framework by which the EU member states are bound to legislate for the enforcement of data protection within the EU as a whole, she bluntly claimed. The data regulator also said that to maximise the impact of its interventions and deliver meaningful outcomes, it must deploy its resources in a targeted way. The Irish Council for Civil Liberties has called on the Minister for Justice to launch an independent review of the functioning of the Data Protection Commission, something recommended by the Justice Committee last year and echoed yesterday by Facebook whistleblower Francis Hogan. The DPC has also faced criticism from some 
MEPs. They were claims it's too weak on large tech companies that have their international or European headquarters in Ireland. But Ms Dixon said that in the vacuum created by a lack of agreed standards for performance measurement, a narrative has emerged in which a number of cases and the quantity and size of administrative fines levied are treated as sole measure of success, informed by assumptions as to the effectiveness of financial penalties in particular, as drivers of real changes in behaviour, capable of delivering identifiable and meaningful improvements for data subjects. In that regard, a recent 2022 survey citing Luxembourg and Ireland as top of the league table for fines in the EU tells us little about how effective regulation under GDPR has been, she said. Likewise, figures representing the number of cross-border cases provide little by way of meaningful insight. Ms Dixon also questioned the success of the one-stop-shop mechanism under GDPR, where multinational companies with operations across Europe can choose to be regulated out of just one territory so they do not have to deal with multiple authorities in different jurisdictions. She said not all multinational activity falls within the scope of the one-stop-shop arrangements, leading to decisions that are difficult to reconcile, being made about the same cross-border processing operations on one particular platform, but by different EU supervisory authorities. That so much cross-border activity can sit outside the one-stop-shop brings into question the effectiveness of the coordination efforts that were intended to be a feature of the regulation of cross-border processing, she said. It may also be said that to undermine the idea central to the GDPR that a level playing field should be created across Europe. The Data Protection Commission's budget in 2021 rose by 2.2 million euros compared to 2020 to 19.1 million euros in total. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com the GDPR Weekly Show is an insurity production. Until next time, bye-bye.